Welcome again to Refuge City Church. So glad that you guys are here and with us this morning. Brave the treacherous weather of Utah. Mark's Gospel, Chapter 8. We are officially at the middle part of the series. Yeah, but don't get too excited because when we get to 13, we're going to break off into a whole other series just based off of that one chapter. Mark chapter 8, again, welcome. My name is Matthew, if we haven't met. I'm one of the three pastors here, so it's so good to see you and glad you are with us this morning. We left off with Jesus in Decapolis, if you remember, where there was a mighty move of God taking place, where Jesus had healed the demoniac uh, who had been uh, enslaved and possessed by thousands of demons, and Jesus goes to him and and, and frees him, and this man goes and spreads the news to Decapolis, his hometown, and then revival breaks out. And so Jesus is there, and he's healing people because they've been hearing about this man, Jesus, and he's on the outside of Israel, and he's deep in pagan territory. And so this is where we find ourselves in this passage and I'm going to do things just a little bit differently. I want to read a little bit, and we're going to talk about what we just read and just go through this line by line for 21 verses and then give you some, uh, some things that I think are uh, rooted deeply in here that the Lord wants us to identify in our own life. So Mark chapter 8, verse 1. If you don't own a Bible, there's some Bibles out there on the table. They're paperback. They're free to you. You can take one, or you can just download the app, or you can look on this massive screen behind me. We're reading out of the ESV, Mark chapter 8, verse 1. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. Now, people are coming from all over the place, upward to thousands of people, to listen to this young rabbi from Nazareth in the pagan territory. They're hanging on every word he says. And so they get hungry, almost to a point where it's very dangerous, like that. It's, you're like beyond hangry, like you're like deathly hungry, which we've probably never felt that before here in America, but they, they are very hungry to the point where they identify their hunger and they're just thinking like, if we send these people away, they could faint. And Jesus says something very profound within this. The Bible says that Jesus has compassion on them. Now the Greek word for this word compassion used in this is splagnon. Like say that with me, splagnon. Splagnon, this great hoodie idea, Caleb. It's a piece of your digestive organs. In other words, Jesus was moved so much that it could be said that how we would say it was gut-wrenching, that it almost just took him by surprise, like a punch to the gut. That's how compassionate he was for these people, so much to where it felt like someone just punched him in the gut and just took his breath away, and he was so filled with compassion with these people. And when he looked at these people, he was filled with splagnon. That's a good word for you this morning. Aren't you glad you came to church today? You 
learn weird digestive system organ words in the Greek. Verse 4, and his disciples answered him, how can one feed those people? This is, this is kind of like comical almost, and I'll explain why in a second. How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place where desolate is just another way of saying wilderness? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he looked, took the seven loaves and Having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And check this out. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And then he sent them Away. Anyone feel like this is like something you've already heard before in the Gospel of Mark? A good nod would be great. Otherwise, you haven't been listening. Right? The first time we Jesus was in Jewish territory and he feeds up to five, maybe ten thousand people, and, and he had leftovers of twelve baskets. This time he has seven baskets. Leftover. This is the second time Jesus performs this pretty cool miracle here. This is in a remote place. They are in a wilderness type place, and he's feeding thousands of people that are coming to him. And all there is is just a few things to eat. And I love how the disciples said in verse 4, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? It's like they have short-term, not short-term, short-term memory loss. You do this, okay? It's harder than it seems. Like Jesus just did this not too long ago where he just took a, like a fish fillet and some bread and like fed thousands of folks. And then they're questioning Jesus. Where are we going to feed all these people? I'm sure Jesus is probably just standing there going, did you forget what I can do? And so they just have these few things to eat. Now, big difference here is that First time they were in Jewish territory, now they're in Gentile, pagan land. Remember Gentiles, it's like you're not a Jew, so like you are not of this chosen people, right? So now Jesus is in a different area, very very significant thing happening here. This time Jesus is feeding Gentiles, not the Jews. There are seven loaves and there are seven leftover baskets. Now, seven was symbolic for the Gentiles in a way it was different for the Jews. There were seven nations, seven Gentile nation. And Mark's point that he is driving home here yet again. I don't see, I don't remember, I don't know if you've seen this refrain happening, but that the gospel is not just for Jewish people, but the gospel is for the Gentiles. The gospel, this message of life, this message, what is wrong with me? This message of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ isn't just going to be held among the Jewish people. It is going to be for the entire nations. Jesus' life, these miracles, everything that he's doing is not just for the Jews. It's, it's also for, for us not just for first century Roman folk, but it's for 21st century people here. 
And that's the message that Mark is consistently conveying throughout this gospel. Because he's writing to Roman people. Let's pick it up in verse number 10. And immediately he got into the boat and his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanathua. That's a great word for you. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. How ridiculous are these Pharisees? What did Jesus just do? He fed 4,000 people. He fed 4,000 people, and the Pharisees come to him, and they want what? Another sign, not just any sign. They want a sign from heaven. They're demanding that Jesus meet them on their terms. They don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. The Pharisees do not believe Jesus is the king. There's another way of saying the king or the savior. Jesus isn't God to them. And so they're wanting Jesus to come down and give them some kind of evidence based for their criteria for who the Messiah should be because they want him to meet them on their terms. They want like some, like what we would say, they want Jesus as as like Superman. They want Jesus to come as the Pharisees, this this very, uh, if if it were today, this very right-leaning group of people to, to have a Messiah come and meet them where they are and rid them of the Roman oppression. So that was their version of Jesus. And so they're they're trying to test Jesus and thinking, well, we'll just get Jesus to meet us on our demands. But Jesus is a lot smarter than these jokers are here. Verse number 12. I love this because we've seen this before. And Jesus sigh deeply in his spirit and said, you got to understand, Jesus is irritated. What does this generation seek a sign? Why? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them and he got into a boat and went to the other side. Jesus is incredibly irritated with these people. Is Jesus being mean? No. Jesus sees the posture of their heart at the root of their heart is unbelief. The posture of these Pharisees' heart is unbelief. Now, notice what I didn't say. I didn't say doubt, right? I didn't say question, right? Oh, I think for so long the church has viewed people who have doubts and who have questions as, as, no, don't bring your doubt. Don't bring your questions here. Like God will frown upon you and we'll have to ostracize you out of the church. You know, I just love Jesus, like in how he interacts with people, especially when they have doubts. He he doesn't like shun them. He doesn't rebuke them. He, He welcomes them in. Listen to me very carefully. God Jesus, he can handle your questions. Questions and doubts are just trying to find the truth. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. 
you got questions about things, it's probably because you are just trying to find the truth. All right, you don't have to take your questions and just like sit through them and just like hold on to them for the rest of your life. You got doubts, you got questions about this? Hey, you're in great company. The problem is, is when we take those doubts or we take questions and we begin to questioning things. We're questioning things. We have unbelief in our heart. Unbelief is a lot different than questioning and doubt. Unbelief is a stubbornness or, or how Jesus would say a hard-heartedness. I, I, I don't know if that's a word. I just made it up. It's a way of thinking. Um, it's a way of thinking the demands and demanding God to come to you on your level, on your criteria. Oh, well, if God is real, then right now he'll show me a sign in the heavens. If God is real, then, then he'll do this, then he'll do that. Like, who are you? Who are you to make such demands of a holy and just God? We don't get to make those types of demands. We see how people reject. This is our culture today. We see how people reject God because he doesn't fit the stereotype of how they think he should be, right? I, I hear people say things uh, just throughout all of, all of my pastoring. I hear, you know, I just, I don't know if I could believe in a God who is just and who can judge people. Really? Well, I'm sorry you can't believe that, but that doesn't make it God not just. We want to remove some of his characteristics just so we could put God in a mold that makes him look better, look more appealing. I mean, can I just be honest with you? Who cares what you think about God? His word has fully like reveal to us who he is. And a part of his character is that he is just and he will judge. I don't like that. Right? I mean, if you're like adamant and can't wait for God to judge people, you got issues. Well, I can't wait for God to just judge the whole world and just melt it like fire. You are weird. And you probably have no friends. I get the tension of that question, how can God be just and judge? But, but at the root of it, who cares what you think? God's words has determined who he is. We don't get to reframe and reshape and make, more him, make him more attractional or make him more like, like appealing to people. You just don't get to do that. It'd be like me saying, you know what, two plus two is not four. Okay, you're a moron. Or you're one or two. You just didn't know. Like, who cares what you think? It is what it is. And these Pharisees, they just don't like Jesus for who he is. And so they have this unbelief. This cannot be the long-awaited Messiah. This can't be him. We, we, had, we had expectations we, we were ready for him to, like, take the sword and, and, and take over the empire. He's, he's, he's not. He's supposed to follow our extra-biblical laws. This can't be Jesus. These Pharisees on one level, 
they represent a posture of unbelief. And on another level, they represent Israel and the wilderness. Another thing about Mark, and I've, and I've referenced this many times, there's, there's a lot of Exodus um, language and, and uses that Mark uses in Mark's gospel. Verses 11 through 13 is that we just is loaded with language found in the book of Exodus. They are the Israelites. God can provide food. Give me a new sign. And he uses the word generation. Generation is how the one generation didn't make it out of the wilderness into the promised land. God, give me a sign. It's the same thing the children of Israel asked for. God, give us a sign. And God gave them the signs and it wasn't enough. Mark is saying that these Pharisees are just like the complaining children of Israel in the wilderness. But it isn't just about Pharisees. Jesus is about to attack you and me in this also. So we're not off of the hook on this. It's easy like when Jesus lays it in on the Pharisees, everybody's like, yeah, give it to them, Jesus. Give it to them religious zealots. They deserve it. But Jesus just ain't after them. Jesus is going to go straight for our heart as well. Verse 14, it says, now they had forgotten to bring bread. And they had only one loaf with them and the boat. And he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, don't you think sometimes Jesus is a little cryptic in, his, in, in how he talks to people? Like, what are, we, what are we talking about? Bacon bread now, Martha Lee? What, what is this? Are we talking about leaven bread? Isn't that her name, Martha Lee? Sarah Lee, her too. I don't know. I don't eat bread. Here is Jesus warning against the yeast of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. Leaven was made by keeping back part of the dough for a while and it would ferment. This is how we would get sourdough. You would use it for a homemade rising agent. But it was dangerous because it was easy for it to go bad and it could ruin other batches of bread if it did go bad. Leaven, at its core, was symbolism for toxic, for being toxic. Or, or another, another way would, we would say this is leavened bread would be the deadly bread. They didn't believe Jesus was king, these Pharisees. And they also have this uh, commonality with Herod here. Where, what is this leaven of Pharisees and Herod that Jesus mentions? Like these guys are at opposite ends from a governmental and a political stance, but they have this one common um, convergence between them. And that was their hatred of Jesus. They didn't believe Jesus was king. They didn't believe Jesus was God. They had become the toxic bread or the deadly bread. And Jesus looks at his disciples. And he tells them, he says, hey, watch out. This could be you. You could be a part of the deadly bread system. It's easy for you to be a part of that deadly toxic bread. And they began, verse 16, discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. Okay. Can we just be straight? The disciples are idiots at this point. Jesus is warning them 
about the posture of their heart. He's warning them, you guys can be on the verge of just like being one of those Pharisees and a part of Herod's posse. And you know what they ask? God, we only got one piece of bread. Okay, at this point, if you're Jesus, let me just, I can't speak for him because I'm not him, but if I was Jesus, I'd be using like Mother Nature and like get the lightning and just like, like, get out of my way, you morons. You're worried about bread? So watch what Jesus says in verse 17. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? I just fed folks. And you're concerned about your dinner. Do you not yet perceive or understand? Listen to this. This is a harsh warning. Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes and do not see, having ears and do not hear, and do not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basket full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And they probably said it like this, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many basket full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not understand? Are you blind? Are you deaf? Jesus is incredibly irritated with his 12 disciples. In fact, he unleashes a set of seven questions that you can find throughout the Old Testament. This is a reference through many warnings from the prophets through the Old Testament. I'll give you one of the references Jeremiah 5, 20 says, declare this to the house of Jacob, proclaim it in Judah. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people who have eyes, but see not, who have ears, but hear not. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do not tremble before me. I place the sand as the boundary for the sea, I, a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart, and they have turned aside and gone away. They do not say in their hearts, let us fear the Lord our God, who gives the rain in its season. The autumn rain and the spring raining keeps for us the weeks appointed for the harvest. Jesus is essentially saying to these guys, hey, you are also like the complaining folks in the wilderness. At this point, there was probably such a silence on that boat. Probably all of them probably looking at him. He ain't talking to me. He ain't talking to you, Peter. So John, he ain't. Well, we know he ain't talking to you, John, because you was favored. He talking to you, Judas. Bartholomew, this is on you, Matthew. You got to know that's like, they, they probably feel like so incredibly small because Jesus just rebuked them in a way that your mama used to rebuke you. Are you, you, come on now, like, are, child, are you that stupid? Your mama's never told you that. You didn't grow up in the South like I did. <laughs> Boy, what is wrong with you? You have no brain. That's what Jesus just told them. Like, what's wrong with you? You don't have a brain. 
You are that stupid? That your concern is a, a loaf of bread? That's what you're worried about. Okay. You're worried about not eating yet again, though I just fed 4,000 people. And you don't think I could feed 13 of us? Are you that blind? Are you that dumb? Are you that, like, are you that deaf? Like, what's, what's wrong with you? Why can't you see this? And the disciples have placed themselves in an incredibly interesting place, spiritually speaking, where Jesus is giving not the harsh warning to the Pharisees and to the king Herod, but he's given this harsh warning to those of us who follow him. Oh, you're worried about a piece of bread? Have I, have, I, have I not done enough for you? Did I not bring you out of the domain of darkness into my glorious light? And yet you're worried about Sarah Lee's bread. Okay. Seems like Jesus is getting to an issue that is a harsh warning for all of us. When we worry about the things of life, we have no bread, we have no money, we have, I don't have this, I don't have that, I have the worry of my past. When we worry or when we, we don't trust God, we still worry, it can become leaven and it can become toxic in your heart. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is ripping over, open their chest cavity and he's exposing them for who they are and about to perform some major heart surgery on these disciples there's a few things, a thoughts on this heart posture that Jesus is getting at. The first one is that this is a heart posture of being completely blind. Jesus said, you have blind, you have eyes, but you do not see. The Pharisees had the living God in front of them, performing miracles, creating new things out of nothing. And yet they were so blinded by their perception of who Jesus should be, they missed him, and it became toxic. It became leavened hearts, deadly hearts. So many times I can be so like immersed in the mundane of life that I just kind of miss all of God's beauty and his love for me. I'm just so blinded. By worries, by do I have enough bread? Do, will, will this take place? What will happen to this worry? What will happen to this fear? And that blinds me and robs me of seeing Jesus for who he really is and for seeing Jesus, what he is doing all around me. It's fascinating that Jesus uses a mundane thing to perform a miracle. Like we just don't expect Jesus to be in the mundane of life, but sometimes we need Jesus to be in a, you know, perform a miracle in the mundane of life. Like think about this. This is just a, a staple diet for them, bread, fish. Jesus used a mundane diet and does an incredible miracle for them. Yet even the disciples had this tendency though, where they could be toxic and have leavened hearts. Because they're just so worried about bread, worried about all this. Where are we going to eat, Jesus? I mean, are these jokers? You think they're Southern Baptist? When is it dinner time? When is it lunch? Preacher, it's 12 o'clock. We've got to go. 
The other thing, it's a heart posture of deafness. Ears but fail to hear. Man, are we so deaf to God's word and his voice. Couldn't see Jesus speaking all around us. And it's likely because for us, in our culture, we just have so much noise around us. Listen to podcasts, music, news, whatever. You're, you're, just, you're constantly immersing yourself with the noise of life. And you cannot just kind of sit back and hear the voice of God. You want to hear the voice of God? Like right now, open up your Bible. Read it audibly. And the word of God will speak to you. Now, how about that for a formula? Well, I thought I had to go up to the mountain and, you know, wait for the Lord to come down and for his Shekinah glory to rain up all over me. Well, if you want to go up the mountain, that's fine. It's a little chilly up there right now. But so many of you are we're late. We're like, well, how can I hear the word of God? You open your Bible, the authoritative word of God, and he shall will speak to you. And he will get right to the heart of your issue. I'm not trying to make you look better. He's not going to try to, like, let me fix you. Let me make you look prettier. Let me make you a better person. He will do the same to you as he did to these disciples. Listen, there are some toxic things in your heart that you need to get rid of. And if you're not careful, you'll become just like the Pharisees. What is the leavened bread? What is the toxic bread in your life that you're holding on to? This is another heart posture of forgetting and not remembering. Boy, these jokers are just incredibly foolish. How many signs, how many miracles did these disciples see and witness? And remember, Jesus sent them out. How many did they perform? But they're so worried about bread. You know, that's that's us. I mean, it may not be bread for you. You're worried about something else. But we have this tendency in our heart to always forget, and we never remember how faithful God has been. Like, this is me. Like, I feel like God just like, all right, Matthew, I'm about to do some digging in your own heart. Like, all right, 40 years, God has been completely, utterly faithful to me. But I promise you, this is just the the tense of my own heart now. I ain't talking about y'all. The moment like something trying or challenging comes up, I'm the guy that's like, well, God, are you going to be faithful in this? Like, why am I like this? God has been so faithful to me in the past. Like, surely he will continue to be faithful because that's who he is. We are just like these disciples where we've just seen Jesus do mighty things, glorious things. But the moment like a worrying situation comes up, we're like, well, what are we going to do about the bread? What are we going to do about this situation, Jesus? We have a tendency to forget and not remember. If that is you, then be careful because the leavened bread is setting up in your heart. Because you will soon be so toxic to the Lord. Jesus is warning them. Don't let the toxic bread infiltrate your life. You've just seen what I've done. And this is so funny because Jesus, now if you like connections in the Bible, this is a pretty cool connection. Jesus says, don't you remember that I fed folks that had 12 baskets left? Where was Jesus at when he did that one? He's with the Jews. What was the 12 a symbol of in Israel? 
12 tribes. Then he says, do you remember that I fed folks and that they had seven baskets left? Seven again was for the land of Gentiles. Jesus is saying, I've come through time and time again. I've come time and time again for, for the Jews. I've come time and time again for the Gentiles. Yet you forget. I, I, I connected this whole thing that I'm here for the Jews and I connected this whole thing for you that I'm also here for the Gentiles and yet here you are worried. It's because they have a tendency to forget and not remember. This is also a heart posture of questioning unbelief and not just simply asking. The Pharisees questioned Jesus. There's a difference, again, between questioning questions and questioning. By that, questions are a search for truth. And God is not afraid of our search for truth. He's not afraid. He's not like, like up in the heavens like, oh, no, they asked me a question. What am I going to do? That's just, just not who God is. But questioning, unbelief, is this, this means that you come to God and you demand him to do things. You demand him to meet you on your terms. Do this on my terms. Do it here. Do it this way. Perform the miracle from the heavens. Instead of just saying, you know what, God, here's my question. But here's my fear. Here's my anxiety. Here's just this honesty Honestly, this is just where I'm at, God, and I'm just, I need you. I need your help. I need you to speak to me. I need you to, to guide me through this. There's a huge difference in those. Lastly, this is a heart posture of entitlement and not gratitude. Entitlement says, I deserve this. This is, this is American culture. All right, and please don't hear like I hate America. Like I love America. All right, like I work for a political organization. I love America, but this is a lot of us. We expect, we demand things. We expect them. I'm entitled to this. You owe me this. But gratitude is 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 the posture of me. Like I don't deserve this. This is not for me. I I can't. How can, you gave me that, how can I share it? This entitlement is laced in our culture. And parents, like, don't we say this to our kids? Like, hey, kid, you deserve this. Like, you deserve this trophy of participation. What are we doing to our children? Teaching them an entitlement that they are owed something from everyone Look at Jesus when he gave, he takes the seven loaves and gives thanks. He broke them and gave them and he distributed them. This is Jesus, God in flesh, right? This is the one who creates. This is the one from the beginning of time. And here he is with just a filet, fish, and bread. And at this point, you would be thinking, like, Jesus would be like, really? Go, go get that cow there. We better have some filet. Let me pour me a little red glass over here, and we're going to disperse this and have a great time. But Jesus doesn't do that. He takes what he has, this staple diet 
And you know what he says? Thank you. Man, I wish that would be my heart. That I would see everything that God has given me and have a heart of gratitude and not a heart of entitlement. Oh, really, God? This is all I have? I want more. I want more things. I want the bigger house. I want all of these things. I want more, more, more. And we think we deserve it. We think we're entitled to it. And we think if we are just an extra special kind of good for Jesus, that he will rain down the blessings on us. But that is not the posture in the way of Jesus. The posture that Jesus is looking for in our heart is one of gratitude, not one that's always seeking for the bigger, the better. Man, and isn't this like laced in the American church as well? Oh, we got to have bigger things. We have, you know, bigger ministries, bigger this, better this, better kids, better than all of these things. And why can't we just be in a heart of gratitude that just says, hey, Jesus, everything you've given to me, thank you for it. I wonder what it would look like in our own lives if that was our posture. Because remember, the posture of entitlement, the posture that says, God, you, you got to give me more. That's the toxic bread. That's the leavened bread that Jesus is warning us not to eat of. Stay away from the leavened bread of this toxic way of thinking that you deserve more in life. The posture that Jesus is looking for is just one who would say, God, thank you for everything that I have. Thank you for the marriage that I have right now. Boy, I know that'll preach. Because some of us are like, God, just give us the better marriage. I mean, you're still going to be the common denominator in that marriage. For what? God, give us better children. God, make my children better. You know, we just constantly just nagging and begging. God, God, do this, do this, do this. Meet my demands. Make my life look like it is attractive to people. Make me look like I'm the best on the block, God. Instead of just saying, God, thank you for everything you've placed before me. And Jesus doesn't just have a heart of gratitude towards it. Well, look what he does. He takes it. He said, God, thank you for just this piece of bread and for just this measly little piece of fish. Thank you for this. And he offers it up and he breaks it and he disperses it out to all the people. That's the true heart of gratitude. The true heart of gratitude is the one who is thankful for the things that they have and who gives them out to others around them. That's the true heart that Jesus is looking for. And if you haven't noticed already, Jesus has just kind of opened up our chest, launched a grenade inside of it, and exposed all of us for what we're really after. We want the signs. We want God to do more. We want him to meet us on our demands. We want God to do more of this, and we want all of these demands to be met. And Jesus is just ushering in this warning to us today, 2,000 years later, saying, be careful. Do not let your heart become toxic. Have a heart of gratitude. Have eyes to see the miracles and the wonders and, and the, the incredible things that are happening around us. Listen to me. God is saving people in this church 
That is incredible, and by your staunch silence, it's concerning. Jesus is moving people from darkness to light, not based on what they're doing. Like, they just... They're just here. They don't know why they're here. And God meets them and saves them and brings them from the domain of darkness into his marvelous light. Don't be blind that you miss that. Don't be deaf to God's word. Open your Bible. Hear the word of God speaking over you. Don't forget all of the great things that God is doing and has done for you. That he is faithful to you. Do not let unbelief become a toxic thing in your life and have a heart of gratitude before the Lord. God, thank you that this is what you've given me. That is enough. That is enough, God. I I join with Paul in Philippians. I have learned the art of contentment. That all I have from all of you is all I need. Let's pray.